2020 changed the trajectory of my life forever. I was 24, succeeding in a job that offered huge financial reward, yet I was unhappy and unfulfilled. My chronic illness, cystic fibrosis, had caused my lungs to bleed and it left me in a hospital bed. Now I left that job and created this podcast and I left that hospital bed to run marathons and prove that we aren't defined by our circumstances, but rather how we respond to them. On this show, we discuss the adversity that my guests and I face and how we overcome that adversity. This is A Lot To Talk About. G'day, g'day. Welcome back to another episode of A Lot To Talk About. It is your boy, captain of the ship, the man in charge, Bradley J. Driver. Of course, you can call me Brad. Excited to be back for another one of what is forming and starting to become my favorite segment episode sequence on the pod. Three mates. Better and be. today, <laughs> it definitely is. Three mates today sitting down to discuss a new topic, which we'll introduce in a moment. However, before I introduce the topic, it's fitting to introduce the two men either side of me. Um, my good friend, Joey, the Zoolander, Joey Soho, known by many names, and an incredible man, a man of much wisdom and insight here with us today. Allegedly. How are you, Joey? I'm good, mate. Um, yeah, it feels like we haven't done this in a little while, so I'm excited to be back in the, in the chair, in the lounge. Um, super keen, super keen to chat about what we've been up to, because we've been up to a lot. We have. It was a birthday, two birthdays. Before we discuss that, Ooh, we've got to introduce the, introduce the other oh, man. Sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, go we've go. got to introduce the other man. Hanging in the wind. Um, brother Fune, Funi, Ty, known by many names as well. Um, a man of not as much wisdom as Joey. Oh. <laughs> no, that's Shots being harsh. Early. A man of much wisdom, a man of much growth, a man who has had some profound things to say on the pod over the course of the last couple of weeks. So, Foons, good to have you back. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Can you get into it? Joey, carry on. Yeah, a couple of birthdays. Um, your birthday two days before mine mm. And um, Yeah, what's turned out to be a super special time of the year Because we almost have celebrated it together both years now Like last year, I hosted my family and friends um, At my apartment And this year I did the same And so being able to have you there both years And then you there this year, Ty It was just super cool like, I'm um, 29 now And you're 26 Seven. Seven, yeah. 27 now, so, yeah. Really cool time of the year. Um, and on top of that, Brother Fune surprised us with, like, probably one of the most thoughtful gifts, which was um, the opportunity to spend 24 hours um, at an Airbnb away. So he thought it would be a really good opportunity for us to, to go bush, isolate ourselves, and, um, yeah, go deep on some conversation and topics that we um, have been pondering and not... Um, and hadn't yet discussed So Funi thought it was a good idea to get us an MBB And that it was It was one of the best um, best ways I could have celebrated turning 29 And um, whilst we were there A few of the exercises we were doing um, We asked ourselves like, Where would you Hypothetically if you could be anywhere Where would you want to be Who would you want to be with And what would you be doing And my answer was plainly I would, would rather be nowhere else With no one else And I'd be doing exactly this. So, um, yeah, thanks, Foons. It was a really good birthday present. And the time we spent away was um, was unreal. I really, really enjoyed it. And I've told you guys that off, off air. But um, it really was like a super special way to bring in what feels like, um, yeah, a new chapter and kind of a transition into 
um, further into manhood for me. So, yeah, I'm feeling super stoked for the future being 29 and super stoked to um, have spent the the weekend and the birthday weekend with you two boys. So it was really cool. No, it was a great weekend. We had such a good time in Melbourne. I was like, let's try replicate that again. But instead of having to um, focus around exercise, let's just focus around mental health. Go get an Airbnb somewhere in the bush mm-hmm. and just um, ask, just have good conversations. I loved it. I, I would say for me, one of the outside of the exercises that we've done themselves, which we'll dive into in a minute, one of the big takeaways for me from that whole weekend was the discussion we had around the idea that we're not really bored anymore. Like, as a society, we do not give ourselves the time, the space, the solitude, the silence to be bored. And in that, our minds are often so busy, we don't get the opportunity to reflect, to encourage introspection, to think deeply about the things that are actually going to have some sort of significant impact on ourselves and our lives. And after that weekend, like not having the phone in front of my face consistently scrolling socials, not putting the telly on and watching movies or watching shows or being caught up in whatever seems to be trending topics or pop culture right now, it was so nice to sit with two of my best mates, genuinely put some time into self-development and reflection and get really vulnerable. And I shared stuff to a degree that I won't be sharing on the pod probably for a little while, but I shared some really vulnerable stuff with you guys that for me felt like a weight off my shoulder and it was emotional to share that stuff. And it's just so important and I feel so privileged that we have the opportunity, whether we're in Boyton, whether the bad boys are in Boyton, <laughs> inside joke. Content. Inside you joke. Can't just drop an inside joke. No one understands why you said it like that. No one knows what Brayton is. So we stayed. To give some context, we stayed in a place called Brayton, and we were in the middle of nowhere, essentially. Like yeah. it was four kilometers down an old dirt road through a couple of private gates. Four. It was more like forty k's down yeah. a dirt road. Sort <laughs> of felt like. Well, it felt like forty k's for me because I was the one getting out of the car to open every one of the farm the gates, gate boy. coming back to the car and then the car driving away from me like it's the first time they've ever played that joke in their life. <laughs> I'm sitting there with my camera <laughs> filming like a, like a little school kid talking about, I'm ready to go into manhood. And then <laughs> filming Brad as we prank him as he tries to hop in the car and we, we just inch the car away a little bit, <laughs> pissing myself. But the one thing I'll say is it was just such a, a beautiful time and there was so much fun and so much laughter and for me, so much growth that come out of that weekend. Yeah. And one of the things that I said I wanted to do was understanding who I am is a big part of, or who we are, was a big part of that weekend. And one of the things I committed to was spending time every day developing my skill set in what I do. And so since then, I've taken the opportunity every day to sit, reflect, think. And for me, one of those ways is to write, to share thoughts, feelings, journal every day even today wrote a bit of poetry hey yo which is different for me but just okay. doing things to develop my my skill set as a storyteller pretty sure so you just nice. got sidetracked from the brayton story i did a little bit essentially <laughs> like some of the some of the the laughs were i think it was joey you said at one point what, what was it was it a sign or something like that it was like private farm and you were like oh no private farm or something <laughs> no, like private that property private <laughs> property yeah that's right and then it just turned into we staying in brayton and then it become the joke that the Boyton bad boys yeah. out on a self-development trip. So let's not go too far down the rabbit hole there. But <laughs> one thing I'll say is 
what I guess the guiding the guiding course of our weekend was doing the Mojo Mindset course designed by Ben Crow, yep. um, one of the most influential mindset coaches and one of the most influential guys in the Australian performance scene, whether that's sport, business. This guy essentially centers all of his content and courses around three questions. The questions that we all face and have to answer for ourselves in our own lives of who am I, what do I want and how do I get there? Now, without weeks of free time, we decided to dedicate some time to the question of who am I? And with that, we spent time on two exercises. The first exercise being to recount and express express our first and happiest memory Mm -hmm. and sort of understand and identify the feelings, thoughts, um, sort of, I guess, forming moments within that story. Um, The second thing which we're going to talk about today was to write a timeline of our life and identify the key moments, the moments that held a level of significance, whether it be positive or negative, and the feelings that come along with that. And what we identified well, I guess I can say what the three of us identified in that timeline or our individual timelines were particularly one or two moments that seemed to be a crisis point in our journey, a crisis point that made us question our identity, that encouraged us over the course of the weekend to sit and reflect on that and introspect. And for me, I learned things about myself that I hadn't fully understood yet. So I'll flip it over to you, Joey, to go first. Sure thing and talk about your crisis point. And I guess for a bit more context, the homework was to identify the crisis point, how it's affecting us in our life, and then what we're doing to make positive progress in overcoming that or at least living with that knowledge. Yeah, definitely. So this was a a super cool exercise, which I'd never, I guess, really done. And um, even thinking about like Brad I think you've spoken about and even in the process of you writing your book you've had the chance to recount what your life looked like from ultimately birth until now and I don't know if you'd done the exercise before previously Ty but I was kind of always a little bit it was a little bit of a daunting task to think my whole life like so much has happened and what am I going to sit here for how how long am I going to sit here and 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 go back to the very beginning so it was really good for us to have that space and time undistracted with nowhere to be um, and, yeah, take the time to, to do the exercise. So I found it super interesting, right, because I chose to break it up into decades and that was more digestible for me. So from zero to ten, what were the pivotal moments in my life or things that, that um, kind of stood out? And there weren't a whole lot. Like, I have here, I moved to Wollongong when I was younger from the country, um, and I met Ross, one of my best friends. You know, I, I recounted a, a generally beautiful upbringing, but there weren't huge pivotal moments. I'm sure at the time, things that meant the world to me, but looking back now as a 29-year-old man, nothing hugely pivotal. And then to summarise, like from 10 to, to 20, you can see the timeline start to fill up with a few more significant experiences, um, you know, finishing primary school, graduating high school, and a sprinkle of other significant events in there. But from 20 to 29 is where shit really popped off, apparently, according to this timeline, because just visually to see all of the little markers um, 
of things that I consider pivotal or transformational jam-packed into the last 10 years and even so um, the last probably five to six years was really interesting for me and I guess the reflection of that is the, the classic question of like is this going to matter to you in five years is this is what's happening now going to be so important to you in 10 years and looking at my timeline the most important things in high school for me as I sat there and reflected on my life didn't even make the cut they weren't even on the on the timeline of things that I stressed about of of worries that I had of um like insecurities that I might have had these aren't these aren't even in the cut because the exercise wasn't only just the happiest moments in the last 29 years of my life it was the pivotal moments things that made you happy things that made you sad um things that might have traumatized you things that um you've celebrated what comes up for you as important and yeah so I guess for me there were some pivotal moments which I wanted to draw on in this timeline which really posed which really allowed me to pose the question who am I um and for the first time ever really asking myself the question around identity like who am I who what is my identity and who am I and so I think for me the biggest um the biggest factor for that was when I separated from my my um my partner at around the age of <clears throat> excuse me 20 around 24 I separated with my partner and that I guess was the first time where I had the space to actually ask myself the question who am I and with that space came it was coupled with a, a huge emotional I guess um it was a hugely emotional time so I wasn't like oh free as a bird so much time to sit and ponder on these questions it was spurred by really heartbreak and and like a a death in a sense because the relationship that I had shared which was beautiful had now ended and with that came the question what next what now who am I who do I want to be? And that was overwhelming as shit. Big questions. Big questions. Overwhelming questions. But exciting questions. Because I remember sitting there and having to get honest with myself. And this is something that I spoke about when we were away. Having to get honest with myself for the probably the first time ever. Where I consciously sat and go, okay, let's figure this shit out. Who are you? Not just who you say you are or who you pretend to be or who you portray to the world. Um, like, who are you at the core? Who, like, what principles do you want to live by? What, what, um, what do you hold as important? Like, let's figure all of this stuff out. And that was kind of a tough thing to do because I had to admit to myself a lot of things. And that admission isn't always pretty. And especially where I was at that time in my life, um, I really was. I had so many traits of my own, which I'm now um, so glad that I don't have. Ones that I really am not proud of and ones that I had to admit to myself existed. And I couldn't blame anyone else and I couldn't um, distract myself with anything. I had to admit, hey, 
I'm egotistical. Hey, I'm selfish. Hey, I'm untrustworthy. Hey, I'm X, Y, Z. And they were things that um, I was ready to, at that time, with the space that I had, I was ready to address. And so I embark on this self-development journey as I'm sitting there really trying to rebuild. I felt, you know, with, with a breakup, like I was, I was putty. I was like remoulding myself um, because the person who I thought I was, like was in, I guess they call it an ego death or it felt like not just losing a partner, I felt like losing this um, part of myself which I was like identifying as, you know. For the, the four years prior to that, I had to reconstruct the whole thing um, and I wanted to do it honestly from the ground up. So I was able to, yeah, embark on this journey of self-development, which excited me. And it, and it brought me into so many spaces over the course of the next, um, I guess, four years until I fell in love with my now partner, Beck. That four years has been the most transformative part of my life. Um, and I guess that, for me, was the identity crisis. <coughs> Um, Can I ask a question there, Joey? Yeah, please you, do. You talk about the excitement of that period, you know, the excitement of feeling like putty and, and being able to mould yourself into the man that you want to be and to discovering what, what and who you want to be at this time in your life, knowing what you know, having experienced the lessons that come through that first relationship. When you talk about the excitement, was there also an element of fear because I think so many people listening to this, and I, I know I can identify with what I'm about to say as well, will go to a time in their life where they felt excited for a new chapter and they will feel an element of fear. What's next? The unknown, the uncertainty of life in which as human beings we don't often de deal well with uncertainty. Or maybe even some who are sitting here now thinking about a new chapter they want to begin but feel fearful about it and that fear is stopping them. Was fear present for you at that time? I don't, I don't think I was fearful and I'm not saying that to big note myself, but when I, just, when I reflect on that time, I remember being, and maybe it was naivety, but I remember being really excited because I had nothing to lose. I was like, wanted to be super accountable and just, I guess, in this like, um, call it a masculine energy be like alright let's build like let's create I can be whoever I want to be because I've identified the things I don't like and let's get to work on like removing those you know let's get to work on being the most honest person you can be the most selfless person you can be the most um, you know the traits that I wanted to exhibit let's start to excavate get out the bad introduce the good and live it not just say it's, it's almost like a feeling and I've got it tattooed on my body actually um it's a latin term essay quam videri it means to be rather than seem to be and that resonated with me when i when i first heard it and that part of my life i wasn't scared of the future because i was just ready to be the thing the person the man the brother the son the the potential partner to be that not just seem to be it because i'd spent arguably the the 24 years of living up until that point, seeming to be things, not necessarily embodying them, 
saying that I was things, but not necessarily living it to its fullest extent. Um, and so I actually remember there was a time in that period where I wanted to, ultimately, I wanted to feel more. I felt like as a young man, I had like a very shallow, um, I guess, depth of emotions where I was like, okay, there's a, I'm either hungry, happy, horny, or frustrated. It's kind of just like cycled between those. And then, yeah, I would look at like people in my life or and family members, members especially as well and go, man, they've got like about 50 more emotions than I do. And I, at that point, I was like, I want to feel more. And I'd sit there in meditation and this is when I started meditating, actually. And I'd sit there and I'd sit cross-legged in my lounge room. And I know you've resonated <laughs> with this, Ty. He thinks I'm a weirdo when I told him I used to do this. But I'd just sit there for hours at a time in my lounge room, just thinking and asking myself these questions. And I remember just almost asking, just saying, I want to feel more. Like, I just want to feel more. I want to feel, like, like grief. I want to feel bliss. I want to feel... Careful what you wish for, boy. And that's... <laughs> what I should have been scared of. <laughs> and so my excitement and maybe the naivety around the complexities of asking these questions, of opening up this Pandora's box and having to deal with the shit that comes up, um, my excitement was met with huge challenge as this retransformation began. And if you had have told me the, um, the challenges emotionally, spiritually socially that I would encounter by asking myself these big big questions and being completely honest with myself about the answers that I was receiving is yeah it's fucking scary but I think I was just like maybe naive and um overconfident to be like fear wasn't in, wasn't really involved then but I can see how that's a scary fucking thing especially the the honesty part because I value honesty so highly now I kind of lead my life through a quote that I heard, which is use your fear as a compass. So it's almost like, um, yeah, re taking your perspective of fear as a positive, as opposed to something that you should shy away from, something that you should lean into. So using your fear as a compass, the things you're scared of are probably the things that you need to move towards um, and respectfully attack head on. I love that you say that because I was interested to see where you're going with that when you spoke about hindsight and looking back and feeling how challenging that period of your life was. There's something that stuck with me ever since I heard it. When I had Rich Davini, the former Navy SEAL on the podcast, Rich said something to, to me that I think about all the time. I literally, every time I sit down to journal, I think about these words. He said, Brad, the quality of our lives is directly proportionate to the quality of the questions we ask ourselves. That is big. It is Say profound. that again for the people in the back because yeah. I've, I've heard you speak about this a few times on podcasts. I haven't spoken to you in, in person about it, but this is fucking huge. He said, the quality of our lives is directly proportionate to the quality of the questions we ask ourselves. And I think about that and I think about you asking yourself those questions than having to live with the challenge of the answers that come up. And it makes me think of that other quote, cometh the hour, cometh the man. That's where the man is made. Mm. 
that's where the work is done. And without the challenge, what molds you? You know, the challenge is you being stretched, that putty being stretched, that putty being squished together, being forced in different directions and having to find its form. Mm -hmm. You know, ultimately the form is the man you are here today, but you're still that putty, right? Mm -hmm. You're still willing to be molded and to, to understand that life is going to move in other directions and, and it's going to ask questions of you that you have to then go and find answers to. And that's just remolding. Absolutely. We're always remolding. Absolutely. And I think that malleability is important. You know, we, um, it's, it's so necessary in, in order to become the best versions of ourselves um, or the necessary parts of ourselves to come through is like you need to be able to mold. Um, but that quote there, right? So the quality of our lives is proportionate to the quality of the questions we ask ourselves. A question in this period that I asked myself, which I guess kind of stems onto another identity crisis which came up um, was around my cultural identity. And I spoke about this on, on previous podcasts, you know, I'm a mixed race, half African, half Australian. Grew up in a small country town, moved to Wollongong. I've lived um, a beautiful life and I can navigate, I guess, my white heritage, my Australian heritage well. I'm born and bred Australian, ultimately. But outwardly, I'm a black man. And so I would, I'm, I'm so proud of my Africanism and, and my African heritage. And um, the classic, to the white kids, I'm black. But then when I'd associate sometimes with um, my African friends or other dark, dark groups of people that um, I was friends with, it's kind of like too, too black for the white kids, too white for the black, so to speak. And there was this one question that I asked myself. I was in a conversation with a, an African friend of mine and he was talking about his struggles as a young African man in Australia and he, was, he felt misunderstood and he felt as if he was, um, he, he just couldn't get it right. And he kept leaning on me saying, you know, you, he goes, your kind, you guys, you guys don't understand. You, your kind don't have it as tough. And, and he kept, I guess, pulling me in like, you guys don't get it because you're white. You don't understand the struggles I'm having, having as a black man. And so we sat there in conversation and as he kept kind of, I guess, associating me as a white man, I kept getting a little, like a little bit offended. I was like, come on, man. Like, like I get it. Like, I'm like, I'm like you too. I, I understand your struggles. Like, I'm black too. Like, he said, oh yeah, yeah. You know what I mean though. Not, I'm not saying that, but like, you know what I mean. And then he continued to talk and say, you know, like, it's just easier for you guys. I'm like, dude, like, what do you mean you guys? I'm, I'm black as well. And so I went home and I said, why did that? What did that bring up for you? Why were you getting a little bit defensive? And why were you getting a little bit offended by the fact that he was not really, I guess, acknowledging your, your African heritage? And so there's a question that I asked myself, which would determine the quality of my life, right? Why was I getting offended? Why was I feeling insecure about that? And that's what it led to. Joe, you're insecure about your African heritage because outwardly you can be as black as you need to be, but you also haven't been to Ghana. You don't speak the language. You're not the most knowledgeable in the history of this country that makes up half of your heritage. And that spurred a quest to develop my African heritage deeper and get comfortable with that part of my identity. Would you say that was almost guilt? 
Um, I don't know if I was... How, how do you mean? Like felt guilty that you didn't know about your, your heritage as well as you wanted to? Yeah, I guess you could, I could, there's a little bit of guilt there, but I also felt responsible. I would feel guilty if I was... Because I feel like it's my responsibility to impart that knowledge if I have children to say, hey, this is where your dad comes from and this is where your grandfather comes from and this part of the world and this is why you have these features and this is why your skin's this colour. And I would feel guilt if I didn't have the means to be able to pass that on. But I felt like it was now time for me to take responsibility for that. I couldn't keep blaming my dad for me not knowing about my African heritage. At the time, I'm, I'm a, a <coughs> 20... I'm just looking at my timeline here. I was, a mid 20, I was in my mid-20s. I was 24, 25 years old. It's no one else's responsibility to, to form my own identity around my Africanism but my own. And so that was a question I asked myself which took me to Africa to develop and discover that. And the funny thing about that was I hoped that when I'd land in Ghana, I would have this sense of I'm home, I'm black, I'm complete. My Africanism, I feel, no, I feel more African now than I've ever felt. And I can bridge the other 50%, which is I, I feel at home in Australia and I feel comfortable in my, the 50% of my whiteness. And now I'm in Ghana and there's the 100%. Culturally, your identity is complete. If I tell you now I never felt more white <laughs> than when I landed in Ghana, walking through the markets, with my dreadlocks, my tattoos, and my, my different fashion sense, as people would, would whistle and try to get my attention using the, the term that they use for tourist or foreigner, which is obroni, to even get whistled at, hey, white man. And you know that I looked over my shoulder, I knew who they were talking to. <laughs> so even to the, black, the blacks in Africa, I was, hey, white man. But to my white friends... In Wollongong, that's Joe and he's African. And that was a very um, interesting place to be at and maybe for another podcast to talk about. But, yeah, spurred more questions. Can I ask one thing off the back of you saying that? And I think that's so touching because I can imagine that so many people would have this crisis that we're all talking about. Who am I? Mm -hmm. And culture is a part of that. Heritage is a part of that. Definitely. Do you feel at peace having come home from Ghana? And, and maybe for those who are really interested, if you go back, back, back. to episode three of this podcast, we're now like <laughs> nearly 180 episodes, I think. If you go back to episode three, we spoke about your journey there as mates. Are you at peace now with the fact that you may never feel as though you are black when you're in Ghana mm -hmm. and you may never feel as though you are white when you're in Australia, but you are bits and pieces of both races and they both make up who you are and you are exactly who you need to be? Yeah. It took me a few weeks of wrestling with these questions and, again, being honest. So I'd sit there in Ghana and go, all right, we don't feel at home. What does that mean? All right, you are a little bit insecure about this. What does that mean? And I got to a point, I was in Ghana for six six weeks um and i got to a point where i said hey joe like you're neither and you're both at the exact same time and how fucking cool is that cool is that that you have access to both cultures 
And now it's something that I celebrate, that I'm not trying to be more black. I'm not trying to be more white. I'm not trying to be less white. I'm not trying to be less black. I'm just trying to be Joe, who is this super unique mix of heritage, experience, beliefs. I'm just Joe, and I'm just trying to be the best Joe. And the fact that I can access both cultures is the most beautiful thing because not everyone has access to two cultures. And that's something that I was gifted um, by circumstance. It's not something that I should be um, insecure about or looking to solve, so to speak. But it was. That was an identity crisis which existed, which came up in this timeline. You know, I went to Africa in in this period of refining myself. It moulded how I looked at myself as a half black, half white man in Australia. It's like, yeah. The identity crisis, sorry, the identity crisis um, took me on a journey, much like the identity crisis of a, of a breakup took me on a journey. Katarina, I, was willing, I was willing to go there, man, and it was um, yeah, so transformative for me. So glad to hear that. And it makes me think about something Katarina Kuhn said to me last week. She said, in understanding who we are, we get the agency or the freedom to express it however we choose. Mm. And I think that's the beauty with, in the end, understanding who we are is about the quality of those questions. It's also about acceptance. Accepting that perfection is a myth. You'll never be everything everyone else wants you to be. You have to be happy with who you are if you are being authentic to you. And in that, if you can express that authenticity with the world, that's, that's where you find your flow. Exactly. And so I'm so glad that this exercise has brought up those two things for you in particular because they're two big ones that you're discovering yourself as a man outside of a relationship and discovering your culture. Mm. Two incredibly difficult and complex questions. Yeah. And by no means like a complete, a complete process. It's, it's ongoing, but being, being comfortable. And I wrote a little bit of a post for my birthday, a bit of a self-reflection, which just said, I'm proud of me, man. Like, I'm proud of me. I'm proud of the fact that I ask myself these questions, that I move into them with honesty and integrity. And, yeah, I stumble, and sometimes I don't live up to the standard I set for myself, but I'm so proud that I'm willing to be, to, to make the efforts to be that and to strive to be better than the man that I was. The man that I was before I asked these questions, I look back at him and I'm like, man, that guy, he was, he was asleep. He, didn't, he had no spirituality. He was selfish. He was going through life um, on cruise control. He was entitled. He was, you know, I, I, I still love that part of myself, you know. It, it still exists, but I just, I was a young boy. I was a young boy um, blind to the way that I was living, really. And then when you start to ask these questions, I get, I love the word agency. I feel like I had the agency to express how I wanted to, and I choose to express um, with positivity and, and with love ultimately. Not to sound too woo-woo, woo but yeah, that's where, I, that's where I've got to, and I'm proud of me at 29 to, um, to be where I'm at. You should be proud of yourself, man. I'm proud yeah, to be thank a friend. You bro. Thank you, bro. You just stole my words there. I was going to say the same thing, and that's... That's the beautiful thing about the, the friendship that the three of us have. Absolutely. 
Yep. So, and I love one thing you said. You said there, it, this is open-ended. And I love the use of a word that I think about a lot. I heard Mo Gordet talk about this. When something is open-ended, it's not a journey. A journey has a start and a finish. It's a quest. Mm. And you spoke there about the quest. And I think that's a, a beautiful way to understand that this stuff is open-ended and ongoing until we get to a point where our heart is flatlined. You know, so Ferns, I'll throw it over to you. I'd lo- I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, and I know you've spent some real time on this, and maybe so, have some even more yeah, insights. I'll, from um, jump into it. So I did the the same exercise with the boys and broke it down pretty similar, like um, zero to ten. I broke it up ten to eighteen because eighteen was when I moved out of home, and then eighteen to twenty four. That was kind of like my rip and tear period, and then twenty four was a pretty similar time to when Joey had his identity crisis, similar to mine, went through a breakup. And then from there to now, I've just been on a voyage or a quest, whatever you want to call it, to try to be a better version of myself because I wasn't proud of the, the person that I was at 24. So to compress the timeline a lot, basically moved out home at 18. And to summarise it, at 18, I was basically emotionally numb. So I didn't get happy or I didn't get sad. I was basically just like stuck on level five, if you want to think of it like a graph or a scale. Like nothing made me happy or nothing made me sad. And then when I moved out of home at 18 and discovered alcohol... I was like, whoa, when I started drinking, I was like, whoa, this is what it's like to feel emotions. So that kind of like, well, at 18, I discovered alcohol, I had a near-death experience in a car crash, and I lost my pop in probably like a six-month period, and that was kind of like a catalyst that set me off in a direction that I'm not proud that I went. I kind of just went on a, as I said before, like a six-year rip and tear, and it wasn't until, what do you say, the straw that broke the camel's back, is that the Mm -hmm. saying? Like, I had a a long-term relationship that ended, and then when that relationship ended, not only did I lose a good person, but also had to break up with the person that I didn't want to be. So like basically like looked myself in the mirror and I was like, who is that? Like, I don't like that person. I don't like who I am. I don't even know how I got here. Like I was just, I almost felt like trapped in my own head. And in the last episode where we talked about limiting beliefs, um, I said I had like a crisis point where it was like, are you okay day at work? And this was all, all in the same time period. Like went through that breakup and was looking at myself in the mirror going, I didn't even know who I am. Went into work, I was entitled to three um, psychology sessions. Just went and sat down with the, a psychologist and I was just like, fix me, I don't know what's wrong, but I don't like who I am, I don't want to be here and I just want to feel fixed. Like I feel like I'm just in a lot of pain in my head and I don't know which direction I want to take it. So pretty much at that point, to go from, to go from where I was there to where I am now, basically had to like, admit to myself like I wasn't or acceptance of the person that I was like I didn't I didn't like that person and I didn't know which direction to go and I started reading like self-help books and then the best solution I could come up with was basically throw all my morals out all my values all my beliefs and just start from scratch I thought that was the easiest way to just do like a factory reset like I don't know how these beliefs got in my head I don't know where my values come from I don't know where my morals come from in that six-year period where I discovered alcohol like I did a lot of binge drinking done some stuff that I'm not proud of, got in a fair bit of trouble. And yeah, from there, I was like, that's not who I want to be. Um, I don't know who I want to be. I just don't, I know who I don't want to be. Yeah, that's such a good point. We spoke about the other day that Alex Hormozy clip where he said sometimes the motivation of something we're moving towards can be powerful, but it's often more powerful when we're running from something. So you to identify who you don't want to be as a good marker to start. You know, for some people, maybe that's 
the answer. Maybe that the, that's the start of the questions. Mm. You know, like this is who I don't want to be. Yeah, that's yeah, that's that's been my process as well. Like I love that you said you you lost a good person. And then you also had to break up with yourself. Yeah, well that, that was the hardest bit. Like losing someone, great, sucks. But then when you look yourself in the mirror and you're like, I've got to break up that person as well. I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> and then what are you left with? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, you're like, left with like, you're not sure. Yeah, that break up with yourself resonated with me um, big time. And then from there, the process was, who do I not want to be? Mm. That guy. That's so that, who I'm breaking up with. That was pretty much my motivation to change was... Now, I said before, like, I didn't know who I wanted to be. I just knew who I didn't want to be. So I was almost motivated by the fear of not wanting to be that person anymore. And I think fear is like, well, I don't know, for me anyway, it's a great motivator. Let me ask you, are you still in the space of being driven by who you don't want to be? Or have you started to mould into the uh, asking yourself questions of who I want to be? Yeah, so this is like, well, I'm actually going through this point at the moment. I listened to Chris Williamson and maybe Alex Hormozzi is talking about um, a science experiment with a mouse when they waft the smell of cheese in front of the mouse and attach a spring to its tail, it runs at a certain force. But when they waft the cat from a back, the back, like it runs harder. So basically like your humans will run, humans will avoid pain more than they will seek pleasure. And I've kind of had the, well, I was journaling about this the other day, I was like, for a long period of time, I've been running off like dirty fuel in the sense like, I'm basically a petrol car and I want to convert to electric. Like I've been running off dirty fuel, or like it feels like dirty fuel in the sense like I've been running off fear or guilt or shame of who I was. And I'm kind of feel like I'm at the tipping point now where I want to be motivated by um, like a vision or something or like who I actually want to be. Yeah. Like I'm actually, I'm trying to figure that out now, but I, I've like, I've realized what you said then like I have been, I'm at the point where I want to try to figure that out. Like I'm actually going through it, so I don't have the answers. It feels, for me, it feels like a cleaner, a much cleaner source mm. of motivation. Yeah, it's been run, running off some dirty fuel and I want to s- switch over to some electric. Dude, you can get a lot done <laughs> running from shit. Yeah. You can move quick running from shit. But how long can you sprint for? You see mm. people in their lives, you're like, wow, what are you, what demons are you running from? Because there will get to a point where you can go, wow, I've made a lot of progress running from these demons. But at some point, you're going to have to stop, turn around and face the demons and become friends with the demons and understand that those demons are a part of you and they're the makeup. Um, we spoke about on the, on the, the um, getaway, the shadow. That part of me still exists and it rears its head every now and then. And if I'm still running from it, Man, I'm, I'm the mouse running away, f- away from the cat. And at some point, that's not sustainable. I found that switching that energy source into that clean fuel of going, all right, I'm sick of running and I'm, I'm going to face these, these insecurities. I'm going to ask these tough questions. I'm going to be honest about it. And now I can take a breath and go, all right, cool, it's out there. It's, I'm honest. Here's what I think about myself now who do I want to be and that's fun then dude it's creative yeah. it's like that's how I felt like I always felt like I was running and then I was like stop for a second and I was like what am I actually running from I was like I don't even know what I'm running from I was, I'm, I'm just, just running, running. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm programmed to run it's like I don't know where I'm going yeah. it's almost a dangerous game to play too because it it works when there's something that like it works when there's pain that has found you and sometimes pain is inevitable 
it's not always in our control. But there's something you said at the retreat that was an absolute bar. And I've, I've mentioned it a couple of times now. You said, some of the pain I felt was not my fault, but it's my responsibility. Mm. Yeah, that was huge. That for me was huge. I've thought about that on a number of occasions this week. And I wonder that for the, the people who can resonate with running from pain, we've all done it at points in our life. When one pain or fuel source runs out, do you look to where you want to go or do you find something else that's painful so that you can feel it and run again? And that's the worry, I think, when that negative fuel source is what you rely on. I think that's almost a victim mindset at a higher level. Like if you're constantly looking for, for stuff to run from, like once you overcome one fear, um, being motivated by another. But yeah, I, I don't know, like I'm at the point where I'm trying to, to flick that switch. So what's a part of the process of moving forward now? Like what are the things that you've identified as positive ways to answer the so question? My, well, my two takeaways that I think for me to be the best version of myself, I have to do two things. One is acknowledge how I feel and just don't lie to myself about how I feel, which sounds simple, but growing up as a kid, life was easier for me to suppress my emotions. So it's kind of almost like a habit. Like for, I feel a certain way. I don't know how I developed this as a kid, but I just suppress my emotions like, and it's gone. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how, how I did it, but now I'm a bit older. I don't want to like, you can only play that game for so long. Like you can run, but you can't hide. Like you can only do that for so long until you suppress so many emotions that something comes out mm-hmm. and it won't be the best version of yourself. So for me, it's just yeah, acknowledging how I feel and being brutally honest with myself, which sounds easy, but when you've got suppressed emotions in you, like acknowledging those feelings and being present with them can be quite difficult. And I think that was something that, again, we spoke about on the retreat. The difficulty in getting still and, you know, people say, meditate, you need to meditate. Some people can't meditate because mm. do you know what it means to sit there with your eyes closed and try to think nice thoughts? I struggle it means with that it. everything you've been holding down <laughs> is coming yeah. to the surface, whether you like it or not. So, so I'm out of here. I'm not, I'm not sitting quiet at all. I'm moving. I'm distracting. I'm masking. I'm blaming. I'm being a workaholic. I'm being a, a fitness freak. Anything to be still, because when I'm still, that's when they get you. That's when they get you. That's when you have. That's when you don't even have to ask the questions. They come rushing forward, and it's yeah. like sometimes it's not pretty, and it wasn't pretty for me. But the fact that you have, um, like, even on our retreat, we did a couple of meditations. The fact that you committed to sitting there and dealing with the uncomfortability, and then realizing that, man, it's okay. Like, yeah, it's been like a. Probably the first time I tried to meditate was like six years ago. I got the Headspace app, sat down. I was like, all right, I'm going to do this. And I'd maybe watched a few videos on YouTube. And everyone, it was like some gurus, like, oh, meditation's great. Like, it's so zen. You get this great feeling. I remember, like, I'd sit down, shut my eyes. And in my head, it felt like a war was going on. I was like, this fucking sucks. Who would <laughs> meditate? Like, this is literally the worst. Yeah. Like, almost, pretty much at that point in my life, like, I almost didn't have any external fears. The only thing I feared was the own thoughts in my head, which might sound stupid. But... Yeah, like the thought of sitting alone with my thoughts, like it scared the shit out of me. Yeah. So that doesn't sound stupid at all, man. That's it's fucking terrifying. Yeah. So for me, I need to just acknowledge how I feel, be brutally honest with myself. That's number one, and then number two is just impulse control, because that's what gets me in trouble. When I just like the first thought that comes in my head, when I react to that, it generally doesn't end well. 
And does that look like a discipline practice for you? Like, how do you control impulses? Um, I think it's just being more mindful of my impulse than going, this has just come from um, shame, guilt, or something from a past, a reaction, yep. um, something's been suppressed in my body. Like, don't run with it. Just sit there and kind of let it pass and let it go and don't react to it. Yep. Which also sounds easy, but it can get, like, when you get caught up in it, like, yeah, it gets pretty hard. I think anyone can relate to a difficulty with impulse control on different levels. Like for some people, the, the action is a substance. For some people, it's food. For some people, it's, to, it's violence. It's to spiral into negativity. I think we all have different things or impulses that we find hard to control. And it is such a challenge because often these things in modern day life are at our fingertips. Mm. You know, like there's, there's no hardship in finding a negative response now. It's yeah. kind of there, it's available. So it, it is such a challenge. Yeah, well, only recently, probably about a year ago, uncovered a, like, like I had a fear of being lonely. I didn't even know it. I think that's what caused me to drink as much as I did when I was younger. Like I had a fear of being lonely. And then once I started drinking, I was like, that feeling was gone, but I didn't even know what the feeling was when I was drinking. I think it was like a fear of loneliness. Yeah, okay. Uh, when you just said that there, it's funny, so you identified a fear of loneliness and then one of your limiting beliefs was around the lone wolf mentality. Mm. So I think, I think that's how I combated it. Yeah. I just fought it. Yeah. Like fought my loneliness because I didn't want to admit it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, it, basically running from it would probably be better. I was trying to run faster than it would catch me. Yeah. Um, and then when I'd start drinking, it was like a, a battle shield. I could like hold it back for a little bit longer. Yeah, okay. Let me ask you this then, because you and I went through similar processes in, we got to a point where we had to ask the tough questions and we, we ran and we realized who we didn't want to be. And when we started to get honest with ourselves, you said there, brutally honest, that's a way to combat and move forward. When you get brutally honest with yourself, have you had any difficulties in forgiving yourself for the stuff that you had to get honest about? Yeah, definitely, because I have done some stuff in my past and I'm not proud of it all. But I don't know what they say, time heals all wounds. Mm. This is like a, a time thing. Now that the more the more obstacles and more hurdles that I've overcome by accepting, the better I am at accepting moving forward. Like at the start, it was very hard. But I think once you get a few wins under your belt, like you get a little bit of momentum and you realise the only way to move forward from a person that you weren't proud of is to accept who, who you were. You can't Ooh. change it. Like it is what it is. And then move on from there. But definitely at the start, I was very resistant to it because I didn't really want to admit to myself who I was and the stuff that I'd done. Mm. But then once once you do realise that you get over, well, like say stuff, how how the partner that I was in a relationship, like I wasn't proud of that at all. And um, like I've apologised to my ex-girlfriend, like, I, like I'm sorry for everything that I've done. Like don't take it personally. It was just a reflection of me. Um, that was like one, one milestone, but obviously heaps of um, other ones like that. But once you do do that, and you're like, oh, holy shit, I feel so much better. Mm. So I think it's just um, time in the arena. And the word used there as well, which I agree with, is acceptance. You're like, shit, not proud of that person. Um, you can't move forward until you accept. Mm. Like, and I think that acceptance comes with self-forgiveness. Because the process for me looked like, especially with my cultural identity, right, um, it started off as a blame. So I have these little qualms within myself around my cultural identity and I feel insecure about my blackness. 
but it masked itself as blame for years, being like, well, I blame my dad for not being around and I blame my dad for not um, valuing teaching me about my Africanism. Blame, 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 blame. Exactly. It's not your fault, but it's your responsibility. Not my fault, but it's my responsibility. And that's... <laughs> and, and once I accepted, firstly, stopped blaming, got to the point where it's like, well, it's now... It's up to me. I've been the one not, like, doing it for myself. I could wallow in that negativity and go, well, fuck, I'm a failure. Like, all this victim. time I've... Yeah, play the victim. All this time I've been blaming him when it was really me and, man, how could I have been so stupid and, oh, man, I'm... No, nah, that's still blaming. You're just shifting the blame to someone else. Yourself? I've been blaming him. I'm ready to move forward and I accept the fact that I was playing the blame game. From there, I can move forward. Mm. So it's the forgiveness for the, you, you get honest, you admit to yourself what's, what's actually happening, you forgive yourself if it's painful and negative, you accept it, and then you can move and create from that space. Mm. So I feel like, yeah, you've articulated that as well, Foons, accepting it and moving forward. Definitely. Yeah. Is that you? I think so. Beautifully you? said, brother. Is that you? Um, yeah. That's if Beautifully I'm said. acknowledge how I feel and can control my impulses and I think that's the road for me to be the best version of myself. I love it. So I love many it. parallels, man, between our stories. I love oh, it. Another thing as well, like the, well, they say the male brain fully develops at 25 and that was kind of around the crisis point that I had and then it was almost like day and night. I was like, I've been living on autopilot. Like, I don't even know how I got here. I can barely remember how I got to 25. <laughs> and then, like, it was almost like my brain developed and I was like, Holy shit, i got some work to do. Dude, that's what I was saying. I look at my timeline and it's just blank. I was like, what was <laughs> Apparently I was unconscious for 18 years where I was just in a coma and then I woke up. Mom, I'm hungry. Yeah. Woke up, was a little shit and then decided that I didn't want to be a shit anymore. <laughs> Very similar, dude. Very similar. I want to say quickly, so I spoke at the start of this and something you, you said resonated with me then, Ferns. You spoke at the start of this about like that that fact that we're so stimulated all the time that we don't ever really get to sit in silence and ask ourselves these questions so today where I mentioned I'd been writing a little bit I want to share just a little bit of that I won't share it all but I'll share a little bit that I felt like spoke to this as I was sort of lamenting on this idea and this is so free flow and all over the place because I literally sat with a cinematic orchestra on, which I like to do to feel reflective and just wrote. And so this might not make much sense, but for me, it felt important to acknowledge. They say it's better to be bored. There's no need for answers when the questions are ignored. Who are we? We are no one. Just another soul suffocated by a life of meaningless existence. If only we had the persistence to keep asking the questions, the resistance to avoid the status quo, to find our own flow to know who the fuck we are, to understand that we're made of the same matter that makes up the universe we exist in. We are stardust, and in that, we trust that we're capable of achieving incredible things. We are one, but we are many. Yeah, and I, and I think it for me it was just sitting and thinking about the fact that I often don't allow my myself the time and the space to think. Like I'm always on my phone listening to a podcast, listening to music, having a conversation with Soph or with a mate or with family. Like there is 
not much time, if any at all in my day, in which I sit in the silence of my brain. It's like that is just not a part of my routine. And like that was honestly the other night when we sat there, that is the first night in I do not know how long that I've sat without the stimulus of a TV. Yeah. You know? And so for me, it was, it was such a powerful time. It's a good old fashioned fireplace and a bit of chat. 100% a fireplace that you could barely keep running, oh. might I add. <laughs> I got third degree burns. Was that St- stoked the, the fire one. a thousand times. Um, what I will say is I'll dive into, for me, what my significant moment was in that timeline. And it's funny because really until probably a year or two ago, this hadn't come up for me as something significant. It was first identified when I sat down and started writing my book during COVID, where I actually went back and, and detailed my life from start to where I am now. And I started to identify this period through sort of my early teens onwards where I started to feel really insecure and I'm like hold on there's a chink in my narrative here because as a young man I was confident out of the box looking for any opportunity to be in front of the crowd to speak to share to connect so why all of a sudden in my teens did I start to shy away from that why did I start to question who I was to feel insecure to feel unsure about me and As we went through that timeline the other night, I identified that around 13 or 14 years of age, I started to get really bad cystic acne. And this cystic acne, for anyone who doesn't understand, isn't just like a lot of pimples. In fact, for me, it wasn't many, but it was these really aggressive hormonal outbreaks of acne that would often lead to like a big cyst or um, sort of like a massive lump that would come off my face. They were always on my face. So they're impossible to hide. That's the one I've got in my head. <laughs> that believe me, if you've seen cystic acne, that's a good day. <laughs> I remember being like 13 and for the first time I'll getting one of these. Yeah. <laughs> I remember getting one of these for the first time. I remember being so stressed about it that I, would, I had like a needle at home trying to cut it open and get rid of it because I just didn't want to go to school the next day. Now, we've spoken about it before on the podcast, right? Kids can be cruel because they're a little bit naive to what the power that their words hold. You know what I mean? As as a confident guy, as a guy who, even in a small school, identified as the outspoken, loud, funny, fun, interesting storyteller, I started to notice myself shy away. Even in my own group of mates, I spoke less. Mm. I sort of moved to the back of the crowd. I wouldn't... You know, if there was a girl at school that I liked or wanted to talk to, I I was non-existent for two weeks until that cleared up. And these things weren't just a one-off. I thought, you know, fingers crossed, hope to God this is a one-off. It definitely wasn't. And I'd start to almost try to shy away. And without getting too much into my teen years, I really revealed the other night as we sat there and spoke about this that it's likely been a big factor in why I chose the career path I did in real estate because real estate for me I've spoken about on many occasions presented an opportunity to be financially very abundant and successful and for me I had this idea this thought that if I am financially successful I'm valuable I'm enough I will be attractive to the opposite sex women will look at me and go 
you know, at the moment, you know, I was single because I was so terrified of my skin and the way that women would see me. I was so terrified of not being enough for anyone in a romantic setting that all of the good things about me, I essentially put on a shelf, locked them away and focused heavily on what I wasn't. And I didn't feel attractive. I didn't feel visually appealing. And so I thought if I can buy a fancy car, if I can wear fancy suits, if I can sell big homes and own a big home myself, someone will see me as valuable. And that's the only chance I've got. And it's crazy because something that is so superficial became such an issue for me that it literally pushed me into a career made me move states to Melbourne because I thought in Melbourne the opportunity I was presented with was even a bigger abundance of all those things, more money to be made, more success in a flashy company who everyone in that industry is looking at as the next big thing. That for me, I literally went from being in Wollongong to Melbourne and where it really reared to a head, where I really for the first time took stock of the issue this was in my life to the magnitude of the insecurity was in Wollongong I had incredible friends around me I had amazing family I was busy I was never bored Mm -hmm. I was never in my own solitude so I moved to Melbourne and all of a sudden I'm I'm working seven days so I'm busy from nine till really nine o'clock because it was full on but I've got no friends and I've got no family I'm living in a place of my own and I remember I'd come home from work every day. I'd get home around 9, 9.30. And I'd sit down in front of the TV. And it was silence. It was just me. I was what I would identify as very out of shape and unhealthy. Which was out of character for me. I was exhausted every day. I would look in the mirror and I hated what I seen. I hated the person I was. I was so embarrassed that I never wanted to be in photos. I was making content trying to look positive, but I hated posting it because I thought, you don't look good enough to be valuable. I remember sitting in the, and this is extreme, but I remember sitting in the shower most nights and crying and just being so upset at the direction my life had taken that the only thing I thought would solve all of my problems was not being honest with it, not talking to someone about what I was feeling, but just make more money, be more successful. Mm. And the reality is I was so crippled by my insecurity and so crippled by how I felt that I did the opposite. I was not successful. I wasn't doing anywhere near as well as I knew I could. And everything I was, was lost. So you ask yourself the question of who am I? I was no one. I was... I was barely a shadow of the man that I once was the man I knew I could be and in that silence in that solitude I felt so lost and the only thing I knew to do was come back to my people and when I come back to my people I thought that it would solve the problem distract me again have support around me feel better about myself and really it just it just meant that I was a little bit distracted for a while you know a little bit distracted until Everything really come to a head when I left my job and I started to ask myself these questions. And, you know, so for me, it was just torment because I stopped, like, you know, in life, it is fair to say that most of us, a big part of our lives is 
it's not all of our life, but a big part of our life is finding someone to love, creating a relationship, creating a future with someone. And for me, the idea of being in a relationship, I didn't know how. Not because I didn't think I'd be a good partner, not because I'm not empathetic or caring or kind. I identified as all of those things. But I was like, how on earth is someone going to love me? And I, didn't, I, I couldn't love myself. I hated what I seen in the mirror. And even as I started to get my fitness back, even as I was around my people, it didn't matter how much positive I heard from the outside, I just could not seem to shake that insecurity. I could not seem to own it. And I found that in understanding this and asking myself the question of how do I get through this, I was constantly self-sabotaging relationships, which I knew I was doing, but I'd make excuses of, you know, and don't get me wrong, there were plenty of people I met along the way who weren't the right person for me or weren't a fit, but I'd find myself self-sabotaging when maybe there was potential in, in a relationship and it was always someone else's fault or the fault of this or it's not the right time or it's not the right situation. There was always an excuse to justify it yeah. because I wanted to feel better about myself. And I think I really liked when people really liked me because it made me feel somewhat valuable. But really, until just the end of last year, I didn't fully come to terms with how bad this was. And it was firstly a conversation we had, Foons, where you said to me, in a different context, you don't see the value that you have as a human being. You can wear your CF as a badge of honour, but you allow it to be something that holds you back in relationships. And I think potentially I was even lying there. I don't think I've ever really thought that my CF was going to hold me back. I just thought all of this thing from a superficial surface level of how I looked, how I am physically as a man, that I wasn't going to be enough, was the real issue for me. And I was using this easy excuse of my chronic illness, which really for me has been nothing but a badge of honour and a motivator, a driving force. Yeah. And it's crazy that when I sat down and, and heard those words from you, they held power in the truth within me, what I knew I was using as an excuse. And I started to think, how am I going to combat this? Because the way I'm going, I will never feel the love of another person because I can't, I can't allow myself to go there. Yeah. It's almost like if I avoid it, I don't have to feel the pain of not being enough if it doesn't work out. And... I heard this quote the other day. I was scrolling through TikTok, as I do, distracting myself on social media, and this video popped up. And the video was these, these two gentlemen who have a podcast, and they, the quote, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, I won't get this word for word, but it was something along the lines of, how can you love what you want if you can't first love what you have? And then they delved into, essentially, the message of this is, how can you love another if you can't first love yourself? How can you give love if you've got no love to give? And I thought, well, that's a powerful message and isn't that profound, but if you had told me that six months ago, it would have gone in one ear and out the other because I didn't have, have the capacity to love myself. I, I didn't know how. I'd been crippled by insecurity and this narrative of not enoughness for so long that I did not know how to flip the script. I could, you know, it's the old preach you know preach it but don't live it yeah not practice it i could go 
hey, you should love yourself because you're an incredible person, Ferns or Joey, and hope to God that you took that message on board and lived it, but I couldn't do it for myself. For me, it was the opposite. I met my partner, Soph, and I don't know why, but for some reason, very quickly, I felt so safe in vulnerability with her. I felt like I could tell her things that I'd never told anyone and, and sit and feel loved and supported and have the space to work through it. And whatever that was, whether she's the, the angel that's been sent to me so that I can feel love in myself, I don't know what it is, I don't know how to explain it, but I was able to come to terms with this stuff and accept it. And what I realised is the way that I loved as someone who identifies as a carer, a lover, an empath, the way that I loved her, observing the effect that that love had on her allowed me to ask myself the question, fuck, if I loved myself the way that I love her, look at the impact that that could have on me. And I feel so free the last couple months to be able to sit in front of a mirror, to be able to look at myself and go, I fucking love the man that I am. Awesome, man. But, but until you can do that, you don't realise how much it's crippled you. It held me back from so much. I, I would sit, like, I remember being invited to go on people's podcasts. Even as I started to work through this at the start of the year, I remember going on, great man, Dylan Mullen's podcast, Life, Money and Love. I remember getting there the day I was, I was tired, I'd just shaved my head. Um, I, I sort of wasn't shaving, I had a heap of stubble. I remember seeing the podcast footage after and it's like my heart sank because a clip had been posted online from that podcast and it actually popped up in my feed. For some reason, I didn't see the notification. It popped up in my feed and it's, it's gone viral. People are commenting about a particular story that I've shared saying, what an incredible young man, full of so much wisdom and so much insight. What a beautiful story. What a beautiful soul. And... I'm seeing these comments and the only thing I'm thinking is I look terrible in that clip. Why would anyone listen to that guy? And so even as I started to work through it, there was still some struggle, but I feel in such a good place now. And it's not to say that it's over because those insecurities are going to pop up when different challenges come up with different opportunities. But I feel so at peace with it. You know, I feel so at peace. And that's an incredible feeling. I, I love that, man. Sorry to jump in. Um, I love the fact that you, that you are there now. But I hear that quote, right? How can you love other people if you don't love yourself? I feel like people can still get caught up in not really buying into that because you, even when you objectively didn't love yourself, you were still outwardly the most loving person ever. You love your family to death. You love your friends to death. So you could almost kick back and be like, well, no, I'm, I love everyone. Yeah. Even though I didn't love myself, I could still love other people. But then when you identified, you know, the self-sabotaging, the way you were closing yourself off to potentially more love, to love other people, yeah, you could love to a certain extent, but for how long? Yeah, you could love to a certain extent, but how hard? Until you started this process of breaking down those walls and and introducing a little bit of love to yourself then that allowed so to come into your life to then 
you she supported you to love yourself even more and now you can love more than what you thought you could so i ask you wonder and it might be hard because i know you have like the deepest love for your family but in this version of yourself which does now hold a lot more love for yourself have you found yourself able to love even more than what you thought you were other people Uh, 100% and I love what you said because it comes back to acceptance like I actually had to accept that it was holding me back from things first and I didn't think it was because outwardly I still was having some success whether it be career making big life decisions you know being the guy who runs a marathon with CF and everyone's like whoa you know what a champ what a great dude but inside I felt this pain that I wasn't living fully Mm -hmm. something was holding me back and I feel like I've got so much love to give now. Like I thought I was loving. I'm so, so loving. And I feel like I've got so much to give because I feel free of it. And I almost feel now maybe a little bit of guilt that I can't always help others see that in themselves because I just want to give people the gift that I feel I've received. And it's such a challenge. But for me, it was one of the times that I really started to, to open up to myself about what I was feeling and how much of an impact this was going to have, not only how much it had had on my life up until the day that I was thinking of this, but how much impact it would have if I didn't fully accept this in the future, is I remember going for dinner with my mum and we were talking about something and I can't remember what it was, but it made me think about how insecure I am. And I remember coming home and being quite emotional in the shower here at home, you know, just sitting under the water, no phone in front of my hand, probably that one bit of boredom I had for the day and sitting and thinking and and being quite emotional. And I remember in the shower asking myself the question, if I was to be invited to a dinner tomorrow night with a 90-year-old version of me, what would he tell me? And I remember just sitting in the shower and thinking and and I got out and I wrote something down, which I've written to share here. I've shared it on my social a while back. Shared it, preached it, was not living it at the time. But I said, if I could have dinner with 90-year-old me, I think you'd tell me that I'm as amazing and as valuable as I'll ever need to be. That perfection is a myth, that time is a blip, that tomorrow is not promised, so recognise the present as a gift. That comparison will blind you because you can only be as beautiful as you allow yourself to see, that you're unique because you're meant to be. That humanity is incredibly lucky that because it has you. You'd tell me that life is challenging and that nothing's guaranteed. That it only gets harder when you speak ill of yourself and look for bad in the world. He'd tell you that the quicker you believe that you can be all you want to be and the more you look for the good, the sooner you'll begin to see just how lovely life can be. I am mortal, we all are. That's what makes life precious. Life is like a pane of glass. It's never too late to wipe it clean and look at life through a new lens. Treat it with care and remember that what we touch is left with a mark of who we are and what we stand for. We only get one spin around, so be kind to yourself and make the most of it. And when did you write that? That was probably seven or eight months ago now. And so did you write that? You were in the shower, you were struggling, you've hopped out and wrote that? Yeah. Wow, what an interesting like exercise to do when you're feeling down. Did you just, that's an affirmation to yourself really. It is. You know, It is. to draw back on and be like, you don't need to do the hypothetical of I'm a 90-year-old man, just reading. I am this, I am this, I am this, all of these positive things you stated. Well, it's funny, you know, that, that point in there about 
life is like a pane of glass. It can get dirty, but it's never too late just to wipe it clean. I think there was a part of me that felt almost a little bit of grief that I was 26 and for the last like 10, 12 years of my life, I've lived under so much insecurity that what did I miss out on in that period? What did I rob myself of? How much self-love did I miss feeling? Like I come from the most loving family, loving friendship group. I'm one of the most loving people I know and I can honestly say that from my heart. But how much have I missed out on because I was so harsh on myself? The things I couldn't change. Like for so long I was caught up in the fact that my teeth look too big. Now I'm just like, fuck, it gives me a big, beautiful smile. Fuck yeah. You know, like, oh, I've got all these scars on my face. And it makes you unique. It tells a story. Like if we all look the same, you know, what, what would the point of that be? You know, we'd just be clones. Clones of ourselves conform to look the same way, to, to feel the same way, to look the same on the outside as everyone else looks. And I was like, I can't, I just have to accept this is how I am. There's things that, you know, I wish I could go back and help the young kid who had all that cystic acne and all that scarring and, and all of that fear of what his friends and the people at his school and the people he was meeting would think of him as they seen him and, and seen that acne for the first time. But I can't. So wipe the slate, slate clean and move forward. Mm. Move forward and feel free of it because you can sit and look back and, and regret so many things about yesterday but it doesn't help today. And it definitely doesn't allow you to live free of it tomorrow. Absolutely. And, and I'm like, you know, I've still got a long life left to live. And I'm so blessed that now I've met someone I love. I feel safe in vulnerability. I feel loved. Like, so, as you guys know, is the most loving human being on the planet. So, you know, like every day I'm told I'm the best looking man on earth, which I know is very far-fetched. <laughs> I can accept that. But in her mind, she just continues to say it. So I can now live without that weight of just insecurity on my shoulders and and i feel for the people who still do yeah yeah what what advice would you give to someone that's in a position that you're in say eight months ago in the shower where you know you're not quite where you want to be you're not practicing what you're preaching like you're saying stuff but you're not living in exact accordance with it how do you go from like how do you practice what you preach instead of thinking what you preach or how do you go from thinking to doing that's that's such a great question it's such a great question. I would say the first bit is to, to recognize that if you are comparing yourself to others, you will never be enough. Never. Because there will always be the next pretty model who's been photoshopped on the front of the magazine or, or the ad campaign. There will always be the guy who's in the gym more than you, who's faster than you. I remember my old man used to always say something to me as a kid. He said, mate, there'll all be, always be someone quicker, bigger, fitter, stronger. It's what you, you do with what you have. And you are who you are. You cannot change that. So to get hung up on what you can't change or what you can't control is wasted energy. And for so long, I was hung up on what I, what I wanted to be, what I couldn't be, that I failed to see the opportunity that's in front of me is who I, who I am right now. Like my gift is not, <laughs> and when I sit down, this is a funny thing. All my insecurity was on how I looked on the surface level, right? When I sit down and I write what my purpose is, 
My purpose is to uplift and inspire hope in others through story. Nowhere within that purpose does it say to be good looking. It's got nothing to do with To be it. the sexiest man on earth. To yeah. have the, the most beautiful or clear skin. And I think if you sat down with anyone on a deep, true, authentic level and asked them what their purpose is, and remember that purpose is like what you're good at or passionate about and how you can use that to help the world, it has nothing to do with the way you look. It has nothing to do with the outer shell. It's about inside of that shell. You, you even think about, um, and I'll let you get into some more advice that you give to people, but you think about when you describe someone, right, these just astounding people that, that come into your life and they're so awesome. How do we describe them? That person's so beautiful. Oh, they were a beautiful person. We're not actually talking about their, their looks more often than not. We're talking about their character, the way that they make us feel, the way that they hold themselves. So the feeling that you gift people can be beautiful. And by design, you are now a beautiful person. But if we're describing the most astounding people, regardless of their looks as beautiful, then it's, it's a, a futile task to be like, I want to be beautiful outwardly, but we're not working on the character. We're not asking ourselves the questions. We're not being honest with ourselves about the things we don't like about ourselves. You want to be a beautiful person inwardly. And this is something that I'll steal from a podcast you had with um, that young woman, she, psychology in her 20s. Oh, Gemma. Gemma yeah, she said this and it was so awesome. It was um, beauty and internal beauty Beauty, uh, basically, I think, let me paraphrase, beauty comes from the inside, it comes out. External beauty doesn't have the same impact. So for you to be internally beautiful, that shines through. That's what resonates. That's what makes you a beautiful person. And that's probably a more sustainable way to be considered beautiful is work on the inside as opposed to the outside. And it sounds cliche, we talk about it all the time. That's, what, um, that's where I've seen success. When you can be proud of the internal, then you're like, I'm, a pr I'm proud of myself. I'm beautiful. Mm. I love myself. And you start to say this stuff. You, you're looking at the exact same face, the exact same figure, the exact same everything, but now you're looking at it differently. Your perspective of yourself is different because you've compounded amazing positive traits inside of yourself that now... You got that glow, baby, looking at yourself going, hell yeah, I am beautiful. I love myself. It's got nothing to do with the, the, the shell, like you said, the out, outward shell. It's so true that beauty is fleeting. You know, like as we age, our skin gets wrinkled, we lose our muscle, we lose our shape. And on the outside, we start to lose what the magazines, social media, the the industry of looks or beauty or fashion would define as beautiful. But you, and I'm telling you now, you know someone of the older generation who has the most beautiful soul, even in that older body, that older skin. And for me, it's my grandparents that when I see them, when I speak to them, I just feel so much love and so much impact. And it's that internal power to, to do good in the world, to be good, to love. Feel, yeah, that's beauty what it's about. The way that you make people feel, not the way you look. And it's a and beauty's just a confidence thing at the end of the day. Because we all know that time where we've seen someone wearing a cool outfit, right? Mm. And so I'll give you an example. For me, 
when I started to get into running. And I often would run in shorts because growing up, you just run in shorts. And I remember seeing Will Googe, one of the sexiest men on, on earth, the gun runner. He's like, for me, I'm like, he's such a gun runner. He does some inspirational stuff in the, in the running world. And I remember seeing him running like the Nike Aero Swift tights. And I'm like, they look sick. It's like, he's a fashionable character, right? He's a cool cat. And I remember thinking, I don't know if I'd look any good in running tights. And like, you sort of buy a pair for the first time and you're kind of like, oh, I'm not sure. You're like looking in the mirror and you're like, oh, do I look a little bit weird in these? Like, mm. how does my shape look? How do my legs look? Do they look like hot dogs? Like, am I, you know, am I a little bit weird in these tights? And I'm like, of course they're going to look shit if you're like question it and you've got no confidence yeah. about it. The coolest cats are the ones that just walk out and do their thing. They yeah. own it. I am who I am. It looks how it looks. Let's go. And I think for me, it's, it's just been such a freeing feeling to firstly accept that insecurity had riddled me of so much joy for so long. Just the ability to enjoy the experience of life and not be thinking about, you know, are they looking at me and, and thinking less of me because of how my skin is today or how I look or... You know, for me, it was just all inside of my head. And you know, it is that beautiful saying that people rarely ever punch down. Mm. And so if people are criticizing you for anything, it's often because there's an element of envy. There's an element of jealousy. There's an element of they wish they had what you have. So when you can look yourself in the mirror and smile at what's looking back at you, to be proud of the reflection looking back at you, it's a beautiful feeling. And I just feel so blessed to have that now. So good, man. So good. I think part of your process as well, whether you acknowledge it or not, and I know this is part of your process too, Ty, is that um, you have to get in that uncomfortable space and the, the feeling that I embody is fuck it. <laughs> so, oh, am I going to look good in these ties? I don't know. Ah, fuck it. I'm just going to wear them and I'm not going to make excuses. I'm not going to be out there and go, oh yeah, these are new ties. But I don't know how they look. I'm just going to fuck it. I'm just going to wear them and I'm going to wear them proudly. I'm going to fake it till I make it if I need to. I'm going to go out into the world with that stupid fucking pimple on my head. Fuck it. Yeah. What am I going to do? Hide? What am I going to stay inside? I'm going to try to put foundation on it. No. Fuck it. It's uncomfortable. And it depends where you're at in the process because sometimes leaning into that uncomfortability or that fear um, can be a little bit too overwhelming and can be a bit much. But there has to be a point in time well, you just say, fuck it. And you just go out into the world and you face the fear, you lean into it, you, um, you know, attack that insecurity. And through that exercise of doing that more and more often, you realise how insignificant it is. You realise it didn't affect the time that you ran. You realise it didn't affect the job interview that you had. It didn't affect um, the date that you were on these are far less um, important than what they may have seemed to be. But you only realise that by kind of going out into the world and facing, right? Like your uncomfortability challenges, Foons, we haven't spoken on the air about them, but you engage in a bunch of uncomfortability challenges. Like, I just want to do it to feel uncomfortable, put myself in these spaces. And really, what's the purpose of you doing that? Um, grow as a person, realise that most of the shit that I worry about is made up in my head. Boom. <laughs> it's so true, isn't it? And... But, and that's the one thing I'll say, I feel like this conversation of, especially for me, insecurity, is something that a lot of men don't speak about. We often hear women speak about their insecurities, especially when it comes to looks. 
you know, you hear a lot of women speak about they're insecure and that's because there are a lot of beauty standards for women with social media and these sort of things. And I feel women have it a lot harder than guys in that, in this aspect anyway, because there's a lot of things that men can do. Like, as you were saying, you can become rich, you can get fit, you can do a lot of things as a guy to mask that insecurity of how you look. But for women, it's kind of, if a, wo- a woman earns a lot of money, she's not much more appealing than a girl that works at, say, Starbucks or something. Like, the women's beauty is, like, kind of stuck there's, with that. There's a, a higher societal value on yeah. aesthetic beauty for women than it is men. Yeah. And then men have the struggle of, obviously, having the value proposition of needing to earn more, be more dominant, like, perceived value. Be more dominant, be stronger. You can always mask those insecurities with other things, like... Yeah being financially stable like other things yeah well i think the one thing i'll say for any of the dudes out who out there who feel it it's not it's not something that no one else struggles with believe me so many guys struggle with this they they probably just voice it less and i think because as men we we don't share to seem to share our problems as openly as women do it's almost like manly to suppress your emotions in a sense or like manly to not admit to yourself how you feel yeah, just go which is what we're trying to change. Mode. Yeah, just be like, oh, I'm an ugly, I'm an ugly bloke. Or like you know, sometimes <laughs> yeah. you just like they they become the jest. So if they're like, oh, I don't know, it's a weird the weird psychology around. I'm not really sure what it is, but it's like let me um, like embody myself as this. So like almost bully myself before they can bully me. It's the Eminem Eight Mile thing. If I so in the last scene of Eight Mile, he takes the complete piss out of himself, and then the other guy gets the mic and goes, "Fuck, what do I do?" See, I feel like he does that. That's a healthy way though. When he's saying, "Fuck it," I know I'm white trash. I know I'm a, a white rapper in the hood, and I'm this and I'm that. He's saying, "Fuck it," as opposed to being like going home and still like blaming yourself and beating yourself up for being that. There's a point of acceptance in Eight Mile where I'm like Eminem. You can feel it. He's just let it go now. That's you hit the nail on the head. The key ingredient is acceptance. Yeah. Because it's the same strategy to take the piss out of yourself. One of them is, has a negative result. The mm. other has a positive. One of the them difference self-abuse. is acceptance. The other one's acceptance. Yeah. 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 And the difference is just whether you've accepted the fact that that's something, it's, that's how you are. Yeah. And, th- and that's something you can't change or can't control. And that, I guess that's the, um, I, I, I even do it now. I talk about my skinny legs, like, and I spoke about it on the other podcast. I can do that now from a place where it's like I lean into it because I have a genuine love and acceptance for my body and, and, my, and my shape. So when Boons will make jokes about my calves, it doesn't land at a place where I'm like, ooh, and then I laugh it off. No, it's like I can make the jokes too. And my process to get to that place of accepting my body fully was like, oh, you might have, you're talking about running tights. I'm like, what would it be like to wear budgie smugglers? Like, I don't really like wearing boardies because they're like, they're wet and they're soggy and then they get all sand in the pockets. And it'd be so much easier to just wear budgie smugglers, go for a dip in the ocean, towel off way quicker. Damn, I've got some skinny long legs. Maybe I've, it's a bit, I don't know, revealing like wearing budgies. I said, fuck it. I sit there for a while, I'm at the beach. This is, um, a couple of years ago now The boys know I wear budgies now And I sit there at the beach I'm like Nah And I, I'd even get to the point Where I'd suntan In the budgies But then if I've got to make The walk down to the water uh, Chuck the boardies on I don't be like Walking around With my skinny legs Down to the water 
And I sat there, I sat there one day and I go, fuck it. I'm just going to walk down into the water with my budgies on. Walked back, sat on my towel, toweled off. Guess what happened? You survived. I survived, dude. <laughs> Nothing happened. And then the next time I was down at the beach, didn't even really contemplate it as much. But you did it last time, do it again. Would you say that that fear was made up in your head? Oh, 100% made up in my head. But also, it might have been made up from a comment that, like, I don't know, but it might have been made up from a comment. Someone goes, oh, Joe's got skinny legs. When I hadn't accepted it. So then I was, like, insecure about it. When it, maybe when I was a kid or something. So that created the fear. But then from a place of acceptance, it's like, this is just way more efficient wearing bungee smugglers in the water. Bro, I feel it big, less fear I feel about it big time. And it's funny because I've never really worn budgies in, ooh, in my adulthood. But like I look back at photos of myself in surf club as a kid. And I'm budgie in my like, little budgies like smiling, super <laughs> stoked about my award. Yeah. That I've won and like you, you're not even thinking twice about yeah. the way you look in your budgies. But I remember just a funny story for you boys. Soph and I were in um, Noosa in Feb and we'd had like a pretty nice day at the beach. It was beautiful weather. Like you can imagine February in Noosa, beautiful and hot. And we'd secured this perfect spot on the beach. It had sort of like almost like a mini timber deck that we had our towels on and, and our bags and... We had this little bit of a palm tree providing just enough shade, but not too much. It was still getting some sun. And I'm, I'm in budgies. Mind you, that part of my ass and hemis has not seen the sun in years. So I'm fucking red raw. I've still got a budgie smuggler tent now Dude, in April from third degree that. Burns. <laughs> exactly. That <laughs> I should get that checked. Get that shit checked out. And I said to Soph, we can't lose this spot, but we're starting to get a little bit peckish for lunch. I'm like, I'm going to run across to the main street, grab us some lunch, and we'll come back and, and we can enjoy it here, but let's not lose this. So she stays put. I'm starting to get a little bit burnt on the nose too, so she's got this, <laughs> this hat we call the lampshade. It's this big yellow bucket hat that's like huge. And I'm like, oh, give me that so I can run across the street, right? So I've got the lampshade on, my bright blue budgies, like this red raw ass hanging out the side of them. And I'm like, I'll run across to get us some smoothie bowls for lunch. I'm sort of running across the street and I could just hear almost like it's a cinematic movie. Doosh, doosh, doosh. <laughs> These heavy footsteps to my left. And I kind of look up and lift up the lampshade of my hat. And I just see the whole Broncos rugby league team running down the street in their budgies all looking thick jacked and lean and like in their budgies and i'm like i feel so insecure right now and you've got your smoothie bowls (laughs) looking as they run past with my lampshade on boys hey guys and um (laughs) and i just and i just thought it is what it is fuck it it is what it Mm. is and you know what do you do i'm not gonna let it ruin my day I'm not going to let it ruin my holiday. I mean, this is who I am. i got someone who loves me. I love myself. I'm having fun. The sun's shining. You know, they're not looking at me thinking anything less. They're just, they've got their food and they're running back to their hotel because they're starving. Yeah. They're just living their lives, man. And, and I think that's the thing. We, we often think that the rest of the world is looking at us and judging us. Often they're worried about their own insecurities too. I think when we get to a place of self-love, it, it opens up and allows us 
to give so much love to others and, and just to enjoy life. And that's a message that I would say to anyone who feels insecure about anything. It is normal. It's a natural part of the comparison is a part of human survival if we look prehistorically. Um, but when we understand ourselves, as Katarina Kuhn said, we get the agency to express it however we choose. Mm-hmm. And I, I choose now to express myself in authenticity, acceptance, love, and just enjoy life. Life's here to be lived. Amen, bro. Yeah. You mentioned you before the you. conversation that your nine-year-old self had with yourself now. If you could have a conversation now with your 14-year-old self or whenever you first got acne and started to feel insecure about it, what would you say to that person as the, like when the seed was planted, when you first started getting insecure about your teeth or your pimples at, I'm going to guess, say 14, mm. what would you tell that person now with the headspace you're in? When you try to hide from the reality of the life that you're living right now, the only thing you do is hide yourself from the opportunity that could have been, could have been yours to live. And I, I hid away from everyone else because I was scared of being seen as imperfect. And in the process, I missed so many of the opportunities that would have allowed me to, to just enjoy those moments those moments that I was present in, whether it was going to a mate's birthday party, whether it was going to the movies, whether it was chatting to the girl I liked when I was 15 or, you know, so many of the things that teach us life lessons that become a part of the experiences we laugh about or smile about in the future. I robbed myself of those opportunities because I was scared of of what other people would think of me. They say comparison is the thief of joy. It's so true because I missed out on so much during those years. And don't get me wrong, I, I still had incredible experiences. I had great mates. I, like I love my mates and I love my family and I love my life. There's still so much good, but you know, the only thing I rob myself is, of is extra experience. And I'd say to anyone who's in that position, yeah, just, yeah everyone isn't perfect. We all have things that, we wish, we wish we could change, but we can't. And, you know, don't stress about what you can't control. You know, the only thing you control every day is how you show up, the energy you give, the way you love yourself, the way you love others, you know, your actions. And like you said, Ferns, we'll go back to it. It wasn't my fault that I had hormonal acne, but it was my responsibility to show up and, and deal with it every day. Except And hiding away only confirms that there's something to be to feel insecure about Mm. you know hiding away like looking at myself in the mirror and going you're not enough well you're not going to show up with any confidence today that's the narrative so it's it's changed the the narrative we're all imperfect we all feel it and you know i've even considered i want to have a massive career in this space which means i'm always you can imagine the first time i turned on the camera to record a podcast now having done 180 where the camera's been on, I think, 178 times, unless for some reason there's been a camera issue. The first couple of times, it was so foreign to watch myself back and want to post that. Like, that was tough, let alone want to put those clips on social where maybe people could see them. But I think I've thought about, like, what happens if this goes in an incredible direction and all of a sudden I'm, you know, I've got an audience of millions of people who watched me, I thought, then if I've got a bit of money, do I go and get the scars fixed that I have on my face? 
I thought, what kind of message does that send? Mm. And I'm like, man, I, I look at this stuff now and it doesn't bother me. And I don't actually think people look at it and go, oh, he's got scars on his face. I think it's just character. Yeah, I you know? resonate a lot with what you say there because I've been posting a little bit more on social media on the TikTok account and like I look some of the content that I film I'm like I don't look good in that but when I post it I'm like I'm giving people that aren't happy with themselves a reason to hate on me and it's only going to help engagement I'm like if I don't look perfect that's like a reason for them to like feel good about themselves so I'm like almost giving people a reason to feel good about themselves by me not looking 100% and as I come like, fine with that mm. and I think if people are engaging with something because they feel like they can punch down. Mm. They're not going to feel good about like themselves. In the beauty or fashion space, so it's completely different. Yeah. But like when I post it, I'm like, if someone looks at me and like, oh, I would look better than that. I'm like, good on you. Yeah, and <laughs> I the, hope you and do. You get to a place I don't of acceptance. Draw my value from the same things as you did. <laughs> I'm like, as long as you watch the whole video, <laughs> that's fine by me. As long even, as you like, even, subscribe and share. Even comment a bit of hate, I don't care because it runs up the engagement. <laughs> well, I think hate in comparison becomes like water off a duck's back when you begin to accept and and something I spoke about with for anyone who's wondering Katarina Kuhn is the neuroscientist I had on the pod um, two episodes before this one would have been released and we spoke about understanding the primal emotions of human personality and behavior and how when we understand who we are we get the agency to freely express it and we spoke about the emotion of care the care system she said one thing about the primal care system is it makes us incredibly caring friends, partners, people. It makes us someone who's such an asset to have in others' lives. But it also means that we're predisposed to caring about what other people think, to seeking social acceptance and or um, potentially crumbling to social pressure. But she said, when we understand who we are and that's a part of us, we don't feel as though we're crippled by comparison anymore. We understand that maybe that's the thought that comes to our head, but we know to move past it. We know to express our care system in other ways, in more positive ways. And, you know, I think naturally care is something we all have in us. We're, we're tribal beings, right? We have people around us and it might not be your highest ranked um, primal emotion. For me, it, it's one of the two. And I've just realized that the more I love myself, the more I care for myself, the more I care for other people, the less... I feel I have to care about what other people think. I feel like I'm starting to understand and control that emotion. Impulse control. Yeah. Well, Identity crisis to self-love, baby. <laughs> here we are. Oh, An hour and 42 good. in. It's, it's never a short one, boys, but it's always an incredibly beautiful and honest conversation. I appreciate us taking the time to sit down for our now fourth chat, if I'm getting that correct. Fourth official chat, mm-hmm. probably four millionth chat amongst the three of us as mates and um it's a privilege to continue to develop our friendship and i'll hand it over to you boys for any final words yeah no final words from me um yeah just feeling stoked stoked to be doing it again um really on cloud nine and feeling pumped up from the weekend that we had and um it's a pleasure pleasure as always i'll just finish with this i don't know who needs to hear it but just love yourself. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of A Lot to Talk About. It means the world that you guys are in my corner, that you continue to listen to the show every week. And if you could do me a massive favor by following the podcast on whichever platform you listen to it and sharing this episode in particular with just one friend that you feel would benefit from it, 
that would mean the world to me and it would help the show grow. The more the show grows, the bigger the guests we get on, the more that we can do and the more we can share and support you guys, the listeners, the viewers of the show. Before I go, I want to pay my respects and recognise the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet and record this podcast. The Aboriginal culture has such a rich history in storytelling and as a passionate storyteller, I really hope that the stories we share and connect with on the show can allow the many cultures that now call this beautiful land Australia their home to come together and continue to respect the stories and the culture that make this the land it is today. Thank you so much for tuning in to A Lot To Talk About. I'll catch you next week.